And so what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is, is we're going to talk about some areas in our life, maybe not necessarily old habits that we want to break, but maybe some new areas of life that we want to encourage and we want to see growth in, right? And, and, and so like for dad, his new area of life is try to keep up with your stuff, right? Like try to keep up with the things that are valuable. That's going to be a new thing for him. And I don't know what it is for you. So in, in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, we have three main people at work in Ezra and Nehemiah, and, and they all three do similar things. Um, they, have a, they have a similar pattern to their stories. And the first one is Zerubbabel. And, and Zerubbabel is the guy that comes in and, and he rebuilds a temple. Now, to give you a little background, um, first of all, you got to know that the Old Testament's not written or it's not laid out in, alpha, in alphabetical order. That's so stupid. It's not laid out in chronological order, right? And so it's laid out in categories. And so you've got the You've got the books of, of the law first, and then you've got books of history, and then you've got books of poetry, and then you've got books of prophecy, and you've got the major prophets and the minor prophets. And the only difference I can find in the two is that some guys wrote longer than other guys, right? So, um, so you've got these two different sets of prophets. And, and here's what we don't get sometimes is sometimes those prophets, they're intermingled in all the other books, and you just don't realize it, right? And, and so, so in this story, what's happened is in, back in the book of Kings is that Israel has gotten in trouble with God and God has allowed Babylon to come in and take over Israel. And when they did, Babylon took a bunch of the Israelites, all the best of the best. They took them into captivity back to Babylon and put them into their system of government and their system of life. And, and that's typical for, for what Babylon did in those days. But there was a prophet named Jeremiah and Jeremiah prophesied. He said, he said, we'll, we will be in captivity for 70 years, but after 70 years, God will release us to go back home and we'll go back to Israel. And so when we pick up in the book of Ezra, we're picking up at that place where God, where Jeremiah's prophecy has come true and God is allowing the Israelites to go back to Israel. But when they get back to Israel, one of the things they realize is their capital city, Jerusalem, the walls of the city had been torn down. A lot of the houses had been torn down and the temple of God had been torn down. And so it was Zerubbabel's job. He wanted to go back and rebuild the temple. He was, he was a priest. He was, in the, uh, he, he was in the ministry. And so he said, I, I'm going to go back. I want to rebuild the temple. And then Ezra shows up um, years later and says, I want to come in. And he was like a, a scholar. He was all about the law. And he understood the Bible. And he said, I want to come in and help restore the culture and restore the law to the people. That, that we, we've lost our temple and we rebuild that. And, 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 but we've also lost our culture. And I want to help rebuild that. And then Nehemiah shows up next and Nehemiah comes in and he says, well, I'm coming in to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. And so the, the series that we're going to go through is we're going to be talking about how Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple and, and the temple doesn't just represent a building any more than this, this building is anything special. The temple represents a connecting place to God. It represents our worship of God. It represents what it means to love God and serve God. That's what the temple represents. Ezra came in and said, I want to rebuild the culture. And, and in today's society, we have this culture that tends to try to merge in with the church. And if the church doesn't merge, then the church gets kicked out and you get canceled and you get put away. And, and so Ezra came in and said, we've got to, we've got this culture that's so mixed and so merged. And he said, we've got to reestablish the culture. And so next week's message, we're going to talk about establishing or reestablishing a culture in our homes and, and in our church and in our community. And then Nehemiah comes in and rebuilds the walls. And, and to me, the walls and gates represent a couple of things, but walls represent protection 
right? Walls represent protection, and, and there's some areas in your life that you need to protect. There are people in your family that you need to protect. There's areas of your heart that you need to protect. And then there's gates that were restored, and the gates represent things that can allow certain things in and allow certain things out. That we need to be careful what we allow into our life. And we need to be sure of things that we're allowing out of our life. Does that make sense? So those are the three messages we're going to preach in the next, in the next few weeks. But today we're going to start with, uh, with Zerubbabel. We're going to start with the temple. And, and one of the things I want you to notice, I'm not going to read Ezra 1 and 2. Um, but in the first two books of Ezra, if you go back and try to read these um, along with us, in the first two books of Ezra, here's a couple of things that happens. It is uh, King Cyrus of Persia says, okay, we're going to rebuild the temple. And he sends back 42,000, actually a little bit more than that, 40, a little over 42,000 Jews go back to Israel to be able to rebuild the temple. And, and here's a couple of things that I noticed from that. As he begins to send them out, and it tells you all the names, it's one of those, one of those chapters that's just hard to read because it's just all the names of all the people, right? And we usually get bored with those. And in, in our phone app, we hit the, like the double speed um, on that one, so it reads it faster. Y'all didn't know you had double speed on your phone app. Um, there is that, and so it just reads it real fast to you. Erica's like, I'm, get, I'm getting through the Bible this year. Um, I'm going to just read it through double speed. And so um, so we do that because we don't like that. But here's something that, that stood out to me when I started reading, looking through all these names, is it stood out to me this, that there were some people that were showing back up in Jerusalem that had been gone for 70 years. There, there were people that remembered, old men, old women, that remembered what life was like in Israel and they're showing back up to their old homeland. There's other people showing up. They've never seen the place. They were born in captivity. They lived their whole life in captivity. And now for the first time they get to walk in freedom. And, and, and I just want to tell you today, all three of the messages that we're going to preach, they're for young and old. They're for new and, and people that have been here for a while. If you've never served God before, these messages are for you. If you've been serving God your whole life, these messages are for you. I think sometimes we think, well, well, he's talking about worship or he's talking about, um, you know, a culture. Well, I've already got that. I've been in church my whole life. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. There are areas of our life that come to disrepair. There are areas of our life that need to be fixed. You can have a house that's 100 years old, and I promise you, you're going to have to do some work on it. Why? Because just over time. Things begin to fall apart. And so, so that's one of the things I started looking at. I started looking at all of these people needed a fresh start. Some of them were coming out of captivity. Their whole life had been in captivity. They needed a fresh start. Others of them had been in Israel and gone into captivity, and they needed a fresh start. Every generation needed a fresh start. And the other thing I want to point out to you before we get into the actual scriptures today is I want to point out that one of the things that they're reestablishing here is worship. Now, whenever we talk about worship... I don't want you to think about songs. I think sometimes we get it a little bit twisted, right? We think worship is music that's being played. Or we think worship is singing. And every church and every denomination has their own thoughts on what worship is. For some of y'all, you grew up thinking worship was the slow songs and praise was the fast songs, right? Like we all have these different forms of what we think worship is. You go to some places and worship is all about lights and smoke and, and you got all the best stuff. For some people, worship is about a choir. Uh, but, but I want to tell you something. That's not what worship is. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, whenever you look up the word worship, and there are a lot of different words that focus in on worship, but a lot of the words mean to lay down, to bow down, to put your face down. Worship isn't about what you sing. Worship isn't about what you play. Worship is about how you live. 
And the idea of worship is that I live a submitted life. I live submitted to a king. That I come into worship. What is worship? Worship is me bowing down to God, face on the ground. Me is, and I'm not talking about that necessarily literally, although you, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm talking about it in a spiritual sense that I recognize the fact that I am low and he is high. I recognize the fact that he is king and I am not. Peter said, if you want to be saved, here's what you need to know. You need to know that Jesus is not only your Messiah, he's your Lord. He's the one you serve. He's the one you follow. He's the one in charge, not you. And whenever we know that, when we recognize that, when we acknowledge that, and then we live our life like that, that's worship. Something my dad said this morning, um, whenever we were in here praying, the, the worship team was praying, he, he was saying that, that what we do on stage, what we do on Sunday morning, it is like a runner getting ready for a race. That They're in the starting blocks, and they're in the starting blocks, and all of a sudden the race starts, the, fire, the, the, the gun goes off, and they take off out of the starting blocks. That's just the first part. That's not where the race is won. The race is won at the end. The race is won in how you do along the way. And worship isn't just about what we do on Sunday mornings. Worship is about how we live on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday. Worship is about the rest of how we live, not just a song that we sing. Can I tell you something? The songs that we sing in here don't help you whenever your parent dies. Oh, but they're comforting. And yeah, but if all you know is worship is Jonathan on the guitar and he did a fabulous job today and, the, and Anna did great and Candace did great and the band did okay, Jay. But, um, but they did a great job today. If that's all you know is worship, then what are you going to do whenever your wife says she wants to leave you? You're going to call Jonathan and say, hey, I need you to come over here and I need you to start singing some songs for me. It's not going to work. He's not going to do it. Probably won't answer his phone. It's important for you to understand that worship is my life. Worship has to be my life. It's got to be how I live. That I live with the knowledge that Christ is above all. And every decision I make is based on that one thing. So now whenever I face a decision or I face a problem, I've got to know Christ is above this. He is the king. He is the Lord. And everything I do must acknowledge him. So the problem with Israel is their worship was broken down. Their connecting point, the temple, was broken down. And so they needed to reestablish their worship. So how, how can I restore, how can I reestablish my worship? Well, the first thing that you need to understand today is worship starts with sacrifice. It always has, it always will. In Ezra chapter 3, so we're skipping all the way over to chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. In the early autumn, when, Israel, when the Israelites had settled into their towns and all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose... Then Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, whatever. It, the names, I'm just going to fly through these names. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull on Erica, put on double speed through the names, and we're just going to get through them. Uh, joined his fellow priest in Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and with his family in what? Here's what they did. In rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they begin to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar uh, to the Lord each morning and evening. Now, if you continue reading, you'll find out later that after they start establishing the altar is when they started hiring a contractor to come build the building. That before they ever built the temple, the first thing they built was built the altar. That worship always starts with sacrifice. Something has to die in order for me to worship God. In order for my life to be a lifestyle of worship, there are things in me that might have to die first. 
And sacrifice always comes first. That's why we talk about uh, giving as a part of worship. Why? Because every time I give, even, even for a guy like me that I've been taught to, to tithe and give to missions and give offerings, my whole life, that's what I've done. Even then, it's still a sacrifice every time you give. David says, I can't give God anything that doesn't cost me something. In other words, there's got to be some place of sacrifice in our life. When it comes to singing, there's a place of sacrifice in there. When it comes to the choices I make on Monday at my job or at my school, there are sacrifices that need to be made because I've got to learn what? That he is above all and I'm not. James chapter 4 verse 10 says that we need to humble ourselves before the Lord. Luke chapter 9 verse 23, Jesus says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. The act of worship, the lifestyle of worship always starts with sacrifice. When we come before God, there's going to be things he's going to ask of us. And we've got to be willing to lay them down. The life of faith. Uh, the, the, the great Abraham in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is called the father of faith. Why is he called the father of faith? He's called the father of faith because he was willing to sacrifice his own son, right? Now, he didn't. He didn't. Some of you teenagers are like sweating a little bit. He didn't because uh, God stopped him and God provided another, another offering. But the idea that Abraham was saying, if, even if I have to sacrifice him, God will raise him from the dead. Like, I know God and God is faithful. Abraham had such faith. He was willing to sacrifice anything God asked him to sacrifice. And he's called the father of faith. So worship always starts with sacrifice. The next thing that we've got to have in our worship is no high water marks. So if you're making notes today, if you're taking notes today, that part's not going to make sense um, right off the bat. But I'm going to read something to you. And, and I pull this idea of no high water marks from one of my favorite sermons my dad ever preached. Um, I've always remembered it. I don't remember how old I was when he preached it, but I was young. Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. When the builders, so, so now they've already built, they built the altar, and now they've gotten a contractor. And the contractor says, the first thing we got to do, right, is put in the footings. Like, we got to pour the foundation. Like, we got to set this thing up. And, and so, so when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. So they're, they're celebrating the fact that they built the foundation. They hadn't built much. But they built something. Can I tell you something real quick before we get into the next part? Today in your life, as you leave this place, I hope you're challenged to live a life of worship. I hope you're challenged to worship God with everything you've got. But you may walk out of this place and your life of worship may not look like my life of worship. Your style of worship may not look like my style of worship. Please don't get upset with that. Set a foundation. Start something right? Start something. So if you're saying my life of worship is going to start with reading my Bible, then start with reading your Bible. Yeah, but Gabriel says he reads four chapters a day and I can't read four. Read a chapter a day, read a verse a day, do something, but lay a foundation, lay a foundation. And, and listen, this is the cool thing. All they did was lay a foundation and they celebrated. I think that's so neat. They didn't even finish the building. They're already having a party. So it says that Levites, descendants of Asaph, clash their cymbals to praise the Lord. Oh, man, the instruments in the Bible in worship. Uh, clash their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. 
in this awesome big party. Instruments, they're throwing a party here. This is awesome. But verse 12, many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. See, what happened is they saw the foundation and realized that this temple is much smaller than the other temple. The other temple was much bigger, much better. And they're just looking at the foundation and they realized, I've seen the old temple and this ain't it. The others, however, were shouting for joy. Verse 13, this is crazy. The joyful shouting and the weeping mingled together in a loud noise that could be heard for a distance. Whenever I was um, living in Mobile, Hurricane Katrina came through and just devastated the, the Gulf Coast. And, um, and from Mobile, we, we would send out teams into Mississippi and Louisiana to go help. Our church would send out teams to go help um, in the relief effort, recovery effort. And in our job, we had a cook in the church and, and a couple of cooks in the church. And so they, they made, um, you know, the big white coolers that you use for fishing, the great big white coolers. They would fill those up with red beans and rice. And, um, and, and, and we would take just cases and cases and cases of water. And so we would go down, uh, go over to Mississippi and in uh, Louisiana, and we would take these big, huge coolers and, and we would hand out food. We'd give out hot red beans and rice to people as they came along. And, and at one point there was a, I think it was in Waveland. Um, we weren't allowed, people weren't allowed to go in there. Um, but when the, when the military guys that were blocking it all off found out that we're, we're trying to feed people and help people, they were like, absolutely, you guys come on in. And so they let us go in. And I remember going past the McDonald's. And as I drove past the McDonald's, there was nothing you could really tell to, to say it was a McDonald's. It was a concrete slab. And there was a handful of the, the old McDonald's chairs that used to be bolted in the floor, the swivel chairs that were bolted in the floor. There was a couple of those sticking up on a concrete slab, and that was it. No building, no sign, no no bar with the, you know, hamburgers, none, all of it gone, wiped away, no playground, nothing. And then there was a big, huge, the big towering sign that, that has the big M on the top of it. It was still standing. And so that's how you could tell, obviously, this is McDonald's. But as we were driving along, you could see way up on that sign, rust. And what that represented was a high watermark. That's how high the water had come in to devastate that area. If you drive around today and you look at bridges, um, if, if you ever look at a bridge, you will see on a bridge the, the areas um, on the on the posts of the bridge where there's algae. And what that represents is that represents how high the river has been in its past. It may not be that high now, but it has been that way in the past. Here's a thought I want to give you today. If we want to restore our worship, it always starts with sacrifice. But the other thing it is, is we've got to learn to not have high watermarks. If you begin to look in your past and you see areas of your life, if you see times in your life when you are really serving God, times in life when you are really worshiping God, areas in your life where you've got a high watermark, but now you're down lower, something's wrong. Because my Bible says we should always be growing from glory to glory until we're in the image of Christ. That my faith, my lifestyle of worship should always be moving up. It should never be moving down. I should always be moving forward. I should never be moving back. And I don't want high watermarks in my life. I don't want to look back at my life and say, boy, when I was a teenager, I really served God. 
and see what we get. And let me talk to the teenagers for a second, because some of you guys are about to go to a deeper camp, and you're going to go to this discipleship camp for a weekend, and, and God's going to move, and he's going to touch your life, and it's going to be awesome, and you're going to worship God like you never had before, and you're going you're to love people, and you're going to listen to the word, and you're going to take notes, and all that's going to be great. But then you're going to come back to church that next week, and when you come back to church, is what you did at deeper going to be a high watermark? Or is it going to be a jumping off point? Because that happens to kids every year when they go to camp. They go to camp and it's all fun and it's all great. And they're, they're all pumped up and they come back to church and they just sit like a bump on a log. And it doesn't make any difference what you did at camp if you can't live it out the next week. Adults were the same way. The Bible says we need to live a life of growth and maturity, a life of pursuit, always getting closer. James 4, 8 says, come close to God and he will come close to you. We got to come close to God. We got to we got to press into God. We should never have a place in our life where we're looking back, saying, look at where I used to be. If I'm looking back to where I used to be, it better be a lower spot, right? It should be a place of look at where I came from. Look at what God brought me out of. Not look at how I used to serve God, but now I'm just really apathetic and doing nothing. So no high watermarks. The third thing we've got to do, and I've got to, I've got to hurry today. I don't want to keep you here too long. Is we've got to overcome opposition. In Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4 verses 1 through 5. And then we'll skip ahead to 24. It says the enemies. Now if you're highlighting your Bible today or underlining your notes, underline the word enemies. It doesn't say friends. It doesn't say family. It doesn't say buddies. It doesn't say pals or companions. It says what? Okay, nobody knew. Let's try it again. It says what? Enemies. That's right. And the enemies of Judah and Benjamin, um, that's representing Israel, uh, heard that the exiles were rebuilding the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel. Here's what they did. So they approached Zerubbabel and the other leaders and said, we want to kill you. We want to stop you. Nope. Let us build with you. For we worship your God just as you do. We have sacrificed to him ever since uh, King so-and-so of Assyria brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the other leaders of Israel replied, You have no part in this work. We alone build the temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, just as Cyrus of Persia commanded us. Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and frustrate their plans. They went on during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and lasted until King Darius of Persia took the throne. So for years, for years, they're being frustrated and frightened by these enemies. So the work of the temple of the God of Israel of, of Jerusalem had stopped. And it remained at a standstill until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. Here's a couple of things I want you to notice. These were friends. These were enemies that tried to act like friends. They said, hey, we're just like you. We're just like you. Let us come in. Let us join your worship. Let us join your rebuilding project. And you're going to have friends in your life that are going to act like they're your friends. But in reality, they're your enemies. There's going to be people in your life that are going to look at you and you're going to say, you're going to leave this place today and you're going to say, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to live this lifestyle of worship. I'm going to, I'm going to take this one next step. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do whatever it is that you're, that you're saying you want to do to challenge yourself to get closer to God. And the closer you want to get to God, there's going to be people that will say, oh, you don't have to really do all that. Look, I'm just like you. I'm just like you. You can live like me and we'll be okay. And then whenever you say, no, I've got to do this, and they start making fun of you, they start ridiculing you, they start putting you down, 
Can I tell you, those people are not your friends. They are your enemy. I'm not saying you don't love them. I'm not saying you don't care for them. I'm not saying you don't pray for them because Jesus says we do all those things. But those are not people that are going to help you rebuild the temple. Those are people that are going to always frustrate you. A real friend, a real family member is going to encourage you, not discourage you in your walk with the Lord. So how did they overcome the opposition? It's so sad to me that for years they had a foundation and nothing else. They had an altar and a foundation, and that was it for years until, until Ezra chapter 5. And in Ezra chapter 5, we see two dudes show up. And this is, this is where, to me, this is like the MCU um, crossover event where you're bringing in Doctor Strange and um, Hulk, and they're all coming in. you got Thor coming in, and now Spider-Man shows up on the scene. Like, this is what happens. Because whenever we don't read the Bible in chronological order, then you don't recognize the fact that these other characters, these other guys are, are in the Bible. But Haggai and Zechariah, their books are way later in the Bible. But all of a sudden, we see them show up in this story. And to me, that's so, so cool. I'm kind of a nerd. I'm sorry. Um, so, so it says this. At that point, um, at that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Iddo, such a cool name, prophesied to the Jews in, Jeruz- in Judah and Jerusalem. They prophesied in the name of God of Israel who was over them. Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of that guy, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were there with them and helped them. When I read that the first time, I was like, man, this is so cool. Like these dudes from other books showed up in this book. And not only did they show up, but they got the Israelites to working again. And then it hit me. What in the world did they say? Like, what did they say that got these guys to working again? And we'll, we'll get into some of what they said in just a minute. But a couple of things I want you to notice is how did the Israelites overcome the opposition? And how will you overcome the opposition to you trying to get closer to God, to you trying to pursue Christ? Here's how you overcome it. You listen to the right people. He says they listen to the, to the prophets. They're, God puts people in our lives that are willing to encourage us, that are willing to speak the word of God to us, whether it's a good, fun word or it's a hard word. Because if you read, and we'll get into what they said earlier, uh, later, but if you read it, Haggai's word was, was hard. He said, look, here's what you're not doing right. Zechariah's word was easy. It was fun. It was encouraging. So you got people that are willing to do that for you. And, and here's what you need. You need people in your life that are willing to encourage you, that are willing to tell you when you're wrong. But also, here's the cool part, is it says that the prophets worked right along with them. You need people in your life that are willing to get in there and work with you. These frenemies that we have that discourage us, what they do is they like to stand at a distance and throw stones at us. The other day when it snowed, I'm going to brag for just a second. When it snowed the other day and we had all that, that snow, um, Colt and I, my youngest son, decided to have snowball fights. We had multiple snowball fights. And um, in the last snowball fight we had, because we had used up just about all the snow, I had this snowball and, and Colt was running away from me and he was for real. I'm not kidding. He was like from me all the way back to the sound booth away. And I was running and I had this and I'm running kind of around this bush and I just sling it. And whenever I did that snowball, y'all, it was the most amazing thing. It was like it was guided by the hand of God right to the back of Colt's head. Just bam, hit him right in the back of the head and knocked him down into the neighbor's yard. It was the funniest, greatest moment of my life. Like it was amazing. And, um, 
It, it was awesome. And so, uh, and y'all think I'm lying, but I really did it. I mean, it was perfect. Rainbow shot right to the back of the head, just like Elf. If you've ever watched the movie Elf, it was just like that. And here's what enemies do for you. I was a friend. I was a family member, but I was an enemy to him in that moment. And enemies like to stand back at a distance and take shots at you. Anybody can stand back at a distance and take shots. Not only I can actually hit you, but anybody can take shots at you. But a friend, a true friend, is going to get in there with you. They're going to say, what, you're doing a Bible challenge? Let me, I'll, I'll read my Bible too. What, you're wanting to pray every day? I, listen, you call me, I'll pray with you. First thing I said was, I'm going to drink a gallon of water. And Sean said, I'll text you and make sure you're drinking a gallon of water. I failed every time because he stopped texting me after a while. And it's all his fault. We need to find men and women that are going to get in there with us and live a lifestyle of worship with us. I got two more. The, la- the second to last one is this. We need to live a dedicated life. In Ezra chapter 6, verses 14 and 16, so the Jewish elders continued their work and they were greatly encouraged, right, by the preaching of the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, son of Ido. Ido's popular, man. They throw his name in there a lot. The temple was finally finished. Verse 16. The temple of God was then dedicated with great joy by the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the people who had returned from exile. Here's the thing I want you to notice. If you're going to live this life of worship, you've got to live a dedicated life of worship. You can't be halfway in and halfway out. It's not the hokey pokey, right? You got to get, you're either all in or you're all out in God's eyes. God doesn't have a halfway. He wants all of you. He wants your whole life. He doesn't just want your Sunday mornings. He wants your Monday nights. He he, he doesn't want your tithe. He wants your whole bank account. I'm not saying give your whole bank account, but he wants to have access to that part of your life. He wants your kids. He wants your spouse. He, He wants your future. He wants your past. He wants everything you've got. Think about this. He wants us to be dedicated and faithful to him. John three sixteen, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The word believes there is really, um, if you look in the literal translation, it says believing. In other words, it's an ongoing belief that I'm dedicated. I'm not just believing one time. I'm not just praying a prayer at an altar when I was 12, that every day I wake up and I believe in him. Every day I'm dedicated to him, that, that every day I'm pursuing him. Think about this. What if your heart decided it only wanted to beat every other beat? Would you be satisfied with that? No, you'd go to the doctor. What if your car only wanted to start four days a week? That's, that's most of the week. But you'd be getting another car. What if your boss only decided to pay you when he felt like it? Now how would you feel? And yet we go to God with this lack of dedication. We go to God with this, I'll, I'll go when I want to go, God. Or we show up at church and they're playing music and they're singing songs. And, and, and we say, I'll worship when I want to worship. See, that was the problem. And that's, that's where I'm going to pull Haggai in. That was the problem with Israel. Is the Bible says in Haggai 1, 2 through 8, it says, this is what the Lord of heaven arm, heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The Israelites got discouraged by the enemies, and so they gave up and they quit. 
And I'm sure it's Zerubbabel. I'm sure some of the guys are like, guys, we got to get to work here. And here was their excuse. The time has not yet come. In other words, I'm not fully dedicated. I'm going to serve God on my time and in my way. None of us are really excited about this point because I feel like it hits home with every single one of us. I feel like there's plenty of times we wake up in the morning and we know the things we should do throughout our day. And we're like, ah, I just want to do what I want to do. Then the Lord sent this message, verse 3. Verse 4 says, are you, why are you living in luxurious, luxurious houses when my house lies in ruins? Verse 5 says, look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are never satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in a pocket filled with holes. Verse 7, look at what's happening to you. Verse 8, now go up in the hills, bring down the timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hope for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought harvest home, it blew away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. God says you're too busy doing what you want to do and you're not busy doing what I want you to do. I need you to be dedicated to this. Man, when I put you on mission, I need you to go after it. You can't do stuff half-hearted. For those of you that that, that work out with me, um, we were, I remember when I first started and, um, I'm, I always joke about how Candace, uh, tells me I look like a fish and then she gets mad at me, but she's very encouraging, very lovely person. Her husband, on the other hand. Um, so, so one day I'm, I'm doing a movement and whenever I'm trying to do this particular movement, it requires that you pull a barbell up high and then you squat all the way underneath it and catch it like this. So it's a pull and a catch all the way down. And I don't know about you, but anytime you have a, a weight, and even for me, if it's a light weight coming down on top of you, it's a little bit scary. And I remember trying and failing and trying and failing. And I remember I, I didn't really know Andrew very well then. And Andrew looks over at me and he goes, hey, bro, you got a fear of commitment? And then turns and starts doing his other stuff. And I'm like, you jerk. The idea is this. When God calls you, he's, he's calling each and every one of us to serve him. He's calling each and every one of us into a relationship with him. But sometimes I think we have a fear of commitment. We're not willing to give him everything we've got. We're not willing to dedicate it all to him. Matthew 24, uh, 12 and 13 says this, Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is where I'm going to end today. Um, the last thing is this, you got to walk in communion. Ezra 6, uh, 9 and 21, 9 through 21. On April 21st, they returned, the returned exiles celebrated Passover. So they built the building, they built the temple, they dedicated it in March. In April, they celebrated Passover. The priests and Levites had purified themselves and were ceremonially clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. The Passover meal was eaten by the people of Israel. This is so cool. Who had returned from exile and by the others in the land who had turned from their corrupt practices to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. I think that part's cool because I just talked about the enemies. And I think sometimes if we will learn, 
Jesus said this. He said, he, he said that it, the, the way you live your life should glorify God so much that other people look at, look at what you're doing and they glorify God too. And, and Israel establishes worship. They restore their worship. And as they do, the Bible says that even the ones that were in the land already but weren't living for God begin to live for God. And they partake in the Passover. Passover is where we get the idea of communion. It was, it was whenever they drank um, four cups of wine and they, and they ate bread. And, and it, was, uh, it was this symbol of, of how God brought Israel out of Egypt. And then as we move into the New Testament, in Christ is that symbol. They, they had to kill a lamb for Passover in the Old Testament. And, and then Christ becomes that sacrificial lamb, right? You've heard that said before. That was, had to do with Passover. And so when we bring all that into the New Testament, Jesus reestablishes Passover with a twist. And we call it communion, but it's the same thing. And, and the idea is this, is that we, we drink the wine and eat the bread and the wine represents the blood of Christ and the bread represents the body of Christ. One was spilled, one was broken. Why? So that we could be saved from our sins, right? Now at our church, we drink grape juice. I just want you to look, this is ruby kissed grape juice. Tim Buck says that came from Dollar Tree. You know what I mean? Like it's isn't special. It's isn't special. These are Cheez-Its. I couldn't find crackers. So I just brought Cheez-Its up here. We don't take Cheez-Its with our communion here at the church. We have far less flavor in our communion. It's way worse. The idea is this that I want to show you today. Just like worship isn't about music, communion isn't about what you're drinking and what you're eating. It's about what you're doing here. They dedicate the temple, and the next thing they do is they have Passover. Why? Because God wants a relationship with you. He wants to commune with you. Communion means it's, it's having common unity with somebody. It's, it's me sitting down. The book of Revelation says that Jesus speaking says, I stand at the door and knock. If someone would just open the door, it doesn't say I'll come in and save his soul. It doesn't say I'll come in and forgive all his sins. It says I'll come in and I'll eat with him. It says, I want to just come in and I want to have fellowship with you. The end game of worship is to have a a lifestyle of communion where I'm constantly in communion with Jesus. Where I'm constantly in communion with Jesus. It's not just about the people around you. It's about being with him. And here's the thing I think is so cool. Is the Passover represented them coming out of Egypt. Communion represents us coming out of sin and Jesus bringing us out. So you don't have to do it with grape juice and Cheez-Its. You can do it with whatever you want to do it with. But the idea is that you remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And, and, and here's the thing. We just sang a song a few minutes ago. Anna was singing. And one of the things she said is, all my life you have been faithful. What is communion? What is worshiping God? It's remembering that all my life you've been faithful. If you can come in here and you say, man, I really need to worship God today. I really want to do better at worshiping God. I want to live this lifestyle. Then remember where he brought you from. Because whenever you're facing a sin, when you're facing a temptation, whenever you know you, 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 can, you can click on that website or, or you can talk to that person that you shouldn't talk to or you can, you can drink more than you know you should drink or, or you, should say, you want to say things that you know you shouldn't say or you get angry and you want to hit somebody and you know you shouldn't. What do I do? I remember where he brought me from. 
I remember that he set me free from all that stuff. I remember that I no longer have to live in bondage. I'm no longer a slave in Egypt, but I'm a free person. I'm no longer a slave to sin, but I'm a free man. So that's how I worship God. That's how I restore my, my worship. I have, to, I have to always have communion with God. I'm always remembering what he did for me. And that propels me into a lifestyle of worship. I live a dedicated life. I'm not half in, half out. I'm all the way in. I overcome opposition by being with people that will encourage me and walk through life with me. I maintain a rule of no high watermarks. I'm always growing. I'm never regressing. And then... I always start with sacrifice. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Why don't we close our eyes all over this place and and find that moment alone? The Bible says that that this building is not God's temple. This is not his house. The Bible says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God chooses to dwell in man now and not in a building. And so today I want you to get alone in the temple. Get alone in the temple and let's see what God wants to do in your life today. Let's begin to ask God right now in your own way. Just begin to ask him, say, God, what is it that you want from me today? What is it that you're teaching me today? What is it that you're challenging me to do today? Maybe there's some areas of sacrifice that you need to make in your life. Maybe there's some areas of dedication that you need to give God. Maybe there's this idea that you keep forgetting all that he's done for you and it's leading to some bad habits. Leaving, leaning forward. Maybe some of the sin in your life is because you keep forgetting that he's already set you free and you keep walking in it. Maybe you face some opposition and you're too scared and you're too intimidated by the people around you. You're intimidated by the kids at school that if I really sell out for God, if I really give God everything, what are my friends going to think? What is my family going to think? What are my coworkers going to think? Can I tell you something today? Stop worrying about them and listen to what I'm telling you. Your pastor that loves you and cares for you. I want the best for you today. And I'm telling you what the Bible says, that you need to give God everything you've got. And there's going to be days when it's going to be a struggle, but you're going to lay a foundation and you're going to start somewhere. And you may not be perfect and you may not be the best, but you're going to lay a foundation and you're going to move forward every single day. Maybe today you need to start a relationship with God. Maybe today you need to make a dedication in your heart to him. I don't know what you need to do today, but I'm going to pray for you right now. And here's what I want you to do. It may be outside your comfort zone, but it's totally worth it. I just want you, the Bible says one of the words for worship in the Bible is to lift up your hands. And, and, And it was a symbol of sacrifice. It was a symbol of I'm giving up everything that I'm not holding on to anything because my hands are raised. It would be like if a, if a police officer were to point a gun at you, you would lift up your hands to show the officer I'm not holding anything. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I just want you to lift up your hands. You can lift up one, you can lift up two, but I want you to lift up your hands. I want you to begin to pray to God right now. And you begin to ask God today, God, forgive me. Forgive me if there's something I've been holding on to. Forgive me if there's an area of my life I haven't been dedicated to you. So God, I pray for each and every person in this room. I pray for myself, God. I pray for this band up here, God. And I just ask that today, God, we just want to give up everything we've got. We just want to sacrifice to you. God, we want to live a lifestyle of sacrifice. We want to live a lifestyle of worship. It's not about singing a song, God. It's about how we live outside of these doors. 
God, we want to restore today. We want to restore our worship. We want to overcome opposition today. There's some of us today that we're facing opposition. We're facing intimidation. God, there's some people in this room today that are struggling because they know there's people in their life that are trying to discourage what you're doing in their life. And I pray for them right now that they would be strengthened by your word. God, some of us need that little kick in the butt like Haggai gave the children of Israel. And some of us need what Zechariah gave. And that was God loves you and he wants to be with you and he wants to be a part of what you're doing. God, some of us today need to stop forgetting where you've brought us from and start living like we're free. We need to stop turning back to Egypt. We need to stop turning back to sin. We need to stop listening, looking at those shadows that Bobby talked about earlier. And God, we need to walk with you in communion every day, every day remembering what you've done for us. So God, today, whatever our need, whatever the issue, God, today, we just, we just give you everything we've got. We just say today, God, I want you more than I want me. I want you more than I want stuff. I want you more than I want people. I want you more than I want prestige. I want you. So Holy Spirit, do your work in this house today. Do your work in our lives today. Don't let us leave this place the same. I pray for transformation in each and every heart. God, I pray that the word today would be seed sown in our life and it would produce good fruit tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.